0: Uh, looking in Revelation chapter two, so turn there, please. And we're going to look at the fourth letter dictated by Jesus to the church through the mediation of John the Revelator. So we're going to look at Revelation chapter two, and we're going to begin at verse 18, and we see the destination of this letter. He says to the angel or the messenger of the church in Thyatira right now we're in chapter 2 and verse 18 Thyatira is about 45 miles southeast of Pergamos so when we started out we started out on the shore of the Mediterranean in Ephesus and we began to move up northward uh, in Asia Minor and now we had Pergamus right at the top and now we begin to move downward and the first church we come in this downward sweep is Thyatira. Now, what do we know about Thyatira? Is that it was probably the most insignificant of the seven churches mentioned in these letters, and yet it receives the longest letter, which is sort of significant, isn't it? Most insignificant church because it wasn't a capital city. Uh, it had to refer all of its criminal cases over to Pergamus to be tried. They didn't have their own uh, uh, court systems there. But what Thyatira was known for was its garment industry. You know, in New York there's a garment district, and here in Dallas we have a, dar- in a sense, a garment district, and uh, there were all kinds of garments made and manufactured in. Thyatira, including uh, wool, there was a tremendous wool industry. It was also known for its purple dye industry. And when Paul went to uh, to Philippi, he ran into a woman named Lydia who was from Thyatira. And it says she was a seller of fine purple. Which means she sold garments that were dyed with this uh, special dye that they manufactured in the city. And she was Paul's first convert In Europe, she had traveled there from Asia Minor to sell her goods and is converted under the Apostle Paul. Now, the thing that you need to know about the garment industry is that all workers in the garment industry were associated with guilds, or what today we call unions. And there was a weaver's guild, and there was a tanner's guild, and there was a dye uh, worker's guild, and there was a tailor's guild, and there was a... Woolmakers' Guild, and there were all these guilds. And every one of these guilds or unions had a patron god associated with it. So, in other words, you could not be a member of the union or the weavers' guild or the tanners' guild without paying homage to a patron god over that particular guild. And you would come together, usually about once a month, sometimes more often for one of these guild meetings, and the guild meeting consisted of a twofold meal. Does that sound familiar to you? And the first hour and a half of the meeting was a meal, and then the second hour and a half of the meeting was a symposium or a business meeting or a drinking session or discussion, whatever, and you had to pay homage to the patron god of that guild. So all the food that was going to be consumed in that meal had first of all been sacrificed to the God who supposedly ate the spiritual essence of the food, just leaving you the regular food to eat. And then you had to pour out libations to this God. And then in the second half of the session, you did whatever you wanted to do. Usually they were drinking sessions sounds sort of like a union meeting today in many, in many ways. I mean you don't necessarily have a drunken brawl but you know there are all kinds of lodges and organizations and you know uh, American Legion post you have a meeting but then guess what? give them the bar up. And what happened is that many times there were prostitutes who served these guilds and the second part of the meeting often turned into a very raucous situation. Also in Thyatira, there was a, a temple to Apollo, and Apollo was uh, the son of Zeus, or Jupiter. So Jesus, Zeus, uh, Zeus, or Jupiter, had many children, and one of his, his firstborn son, according to Roman mythology, was Apollos, and so Apollo was the son of God in, uh, in heaven. And they also had a pretty strong brass or bronze uh, manufacturing system in Thyatira. So with that background, you see how Jesus identifies himself. He says in verse 18, these things write, the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire, and his feet are like fine brass or bronze. So notice Jesus calls himself (coughs) the Son of God. Apollo was the Son of God. But Jesus says, no, I'm the Son of God. I'm God's representative, heavenly representative, and then he describes his eyes like flames of fire, which means that they penetrate, they can discern, they can judge, they see what's going on behind the scenes, and then he describes his feet as feet of brass or bronze, which are, uh, rep, bronze represents uh, judgment, they're swift to judge. So he is, describes himself as the one who has the authority from God, not, 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 Jupiter the father of all gods but Yahweh the father of all gods and he is his representative and he will judge those things that are wrong then he says in verse 19 I know your works love, service faith and your patience and it's for your works the last are more than the first so he uh, praises this church. And there's a lot that this church has going for it. He says, "You talks about their deeds, and these are positive deeds evidently, their charity, they give alms, service, they're selfless, they are faithful, faith there means faithfulness, and patience. They never give up. But this is the important phrase. As for your works, the last are more than the first. Now that's a pretty good commendation. Because what you need to realize is that Thyatira is a second generation church. It's been in existence for about 40 years. So this means that the original people who helped found this church, the first members of this church, are now old. They are like we are. And now it's their children that are running the church. And the children are more active than the parents were. See how he says that at the end of verse 19? As for your works, the last are more than the first. The children are more active than the parents. And that's very unusual in the church, isn't it? It's usually those people that are first generation in the church and saved in the church that are very active. And then he says... In verse 20, Nevertheless, and now you know there's going to be a review. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. Now, here is what, why he has a few things against them. First of all, he doesn't tell them what those things are. First he tells them why he has a few things against them. Look what he said. Because you allow or you tolerate that Woman Jezebel. And so he says, I have something against you. You know what? You know that woman Jezebel you have in your church? You put up with her. You tolerate her. And I don't think this woman is, her name is Jezebel. I don't think it's literally Jezebel. And maybe it is. But most people didn't name their daughters Jezebel. That'd be like naming your, you know, your. Judas Judas Iscariot. People just didn't do things like that. Especially in the church. But this woman is like Jezebel in the Old Testament. Now remember who she was? She was the daughter of the king of Sidon, a Canaanite. And she was a Baal worshiper. And Jezebel marries King Ahab, king of Judah. It's a political marriage. Between two... Countries, and she turns Israel into a group of Baal worshippers, and she tries to kill all of God's prophets and replace them with the prophets of Baal. You remember that story? We were uh, we looked at that when we were in Kings, and then look what it says about her. She calls herself a prophetess, which of course means she's not. But she says, when I speak, I speak for God. And she claimed to have, in a sense, a gift of prophecy. She calls herself a prophetess, in verse 20. And here's what you allow her to do. To teach and seduce my servants. Number one, to commit sexual immorality. And number two, to eat things sacrificed The idols. So, she says, Thus says the Lord, It's okay to attend the guild meetings as a Christian. It's okay to eat the meals at the guild or the union house that are sacrificed to the gods. It's okay to participate in the symposium activities that follow. After all, you have to work, don't you? And to work, you have to be in the union, don't you? So, she says, thus says the Lord, it's okay. And, she does it under the authority of God, because she calls herself a prophet. Now, notice it says there, she not only teaches, but she does something else. She seduces or beguiles them to do that. Uh, That means that... uh, many of them probably were not wanting to do those kinds of things. But she says, that's okay. And because of her saying, thus says the Lord, many of them go along and they're seduced. Now we know from 1 Corinthians 10, Paul says, you cannot eat at the table of demons and the table of the Lord. You can't go to the guild meetings and have those kinds of meals that are sacrificed to demons or the gods, the Roman gods, which are actually demons, and then come and have a meal uh, that is dedicated to the Lord Jesus So how does she deceive them? Well she deceives them Claiming that She's speaking on behalf of God And I believe that she probably used uh, Some rationalization She says well you know You're just going through the motions anyway When you go to that guild meeting and you eat those meals You don't really believe in those gods do you And the answer is what? No You're just going through the motions Who's your loyalty to? Jesus. So what's the difference? The demons, these, these gods of Roman gods are not are not real. And then and then she probably says, after all, you need a job, don't you? And the answer is what? Yes. I mean, that's how we justify that. I have to make a living, don't I? In order to make a living, I have to belong to the guild, don't I? And eat the meals, don't I? Have to make a living. You know, uh, Tertullian, who was one of the early church fathers. He lived in the 3rd century, in the 200s A.D. And there was a group of people in his community, Christians, who were idol makers. Church members who were idol makers. They worked for a company that made idols. And they didn't worship the idols. They worshipped Jesus. They were Christians. They just made the items. And their justification was, well, we have to live, don't we? Now just think about how we do that same thing today with the kind of jobs that we do and the things that we're involved in. You know how Tertullian, this early church father, responded? He said, you should have counted the cost before you became a Christian. You were, an idol member, you were an idol worker and a pagan. You heard the gospel preached. And you should have said, What's it going to cost me to be a Christian, a follower of Christ? It's going to cost me my job. Do I still want to be a Christian? He said, You should have counted the cost before you became a Christian. And then to those who said, Well, we have to live, don't we? You know how he responded to them? Who says you have to live? Where did you ever come up with that idea? Your ultimate loyalty to Christ is a willingness to die rather than compromise. You don't have to live. But you know what you have to do rather than compromise? You have to be willing to die. So he didn't put up with that nonsense. Now there was a man, I would say was more of a prophet than this woman, right? Because this woman said, ah, oh, you can do that, you can compromise, doesn't mean a thing. You don't, don't really believe this, do you? So what's happened is as a result of this woman, they're caught between two opinions. Is it, Maybe it's okay to go to the guild meetings and have these meals offered to the gods, and at the same time, eat a meal that's offered to the Lord.
1: But remember that
0: prophet way back in that Old Testament that interacted with Jezebel? His name was Elijah, wasn't it? And Elijah stood up and he said, Why halt you between two opinions? If Baal be God, serve him. But if God be God, serve him but you can't serve two masters. You have to make the choice. And so when Elijah did that, you remember what happened to Jezebel, what Jezebel did? She chased him and he ran for his life. And he, he literally had he never stopped running. The last time we saw Elijah, he was still running. <laughs> so look what Jesus says in verse 21. He said, "I gave her time to repent. Of her sexual immorality, and she did not repent. Now, notice that I gave her time. By time, what Jesus means is He gave the church time to straighten out the problem. You see, when we have sin in the church, then guess what we're to do? The scripture says, if there's somebody that sin, we're to go to them, and call them to repent. And if they don't listen, then guess what we're to do? Take two or three, that if they don't listen, guess what we're to do? Bring it to the church, and if they still don't listen, guess what you're to do? Put them out of the church. All that is designed to bring the person to repentance. And he's given her time to repent, which means that he's given the church time to confront her and call her to repent, but she has not done it. She's failed to do that. In fact, I would say that the church has failed to confront her. Now, how do I know that the church has failed to confront her with church discipline? Because he says, you allowed her to do this. You tolerate it. You put up with it. You're not a pure church. And so, look at the result in verse 22. Indeed, I will cast her into a sickbed. Since her sins have to do with a bed, sexual immorality, he's going to put her in bed. She's been in a sin bed, and she probably practices these things herself, and he's going to put her into a sick bed. She's going to end up on a bed of affliction. And those, in verse 22, who commit adultery with her, probably not just her individually, but meaning with adultery. people that she promotes. And those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation. Now that doesn't mean the great tribulation. It just means affliction. And the people who commit the sins that she encourages are They're going to end up being in affliction. So why isn't the great tribulation? Because guess what? The great tribulation hasn't come yet. And this church existed 2,000 years ago. This was sin that was going to be dealt with very soon. And so it means just tribulation or affliction or suffering. You are going to suffer just like she is going to suffer. And then he adds right at the end of verse 22, unless they repent of their deeds. So the suffering hasn't yet come, and there is a way to... Stay the suffering. They need to repent. They need to change. Now, do they change? Well, we're not told that. I don't think they do. I don't think the church of Thyatira is in existence anymore, is it? No, it's wiped off the face of the man. Now look at verse 23. Look what else Jesus says. I will kill her children with death. Those that follow her. And all the churches shall know that I am he who searches the minds and the hearts. Those those eyes of flames of fire, he can look right into you. And I will give to each one of you according to your works. And so if you do what she says, guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to kill her children with death. Now that sounds a lot like Ananias and Fire, doesn't it? Remember in Acts chapter 5, Ananias and Sapphira lie to the Holy Spirit. Peter walks in. What happens to the husband? Drops dead. What happens to the wife? He confronts her. Drops dead. See, so here you see God saying, I'm going, to, I'm going to bring about discipline in those people's lives, and they are going to die. Physical death. They're just going to drop dead. She's going to end up on the sickbed and she's going to end up dying. And those who follow her are going to end up on the sickbed and then some of them are going to die. Isn't that what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11? He says you eat the Lord's supper unworthily because you're going to these other meals and you're eating these meals offered to demons. And for this reason, some of you are sick, weak, and some have even died. See, all that you have right here is being... Uh, as a a replication of what was happening in the churches earlier on in that century. So he says, I know and I'm going to judge you according to your works. Now he sort of switches attention. Look in verse 24. Now to you I say, and to the rest in Thyatira, as many as do not have this doctrine, in other words, you have remained pure, you haven't followed this woman. Speaking now to the rest of the church, as many as do not have this doctrine, who have not known the depths of Satan, as they say, I will put on you no other burden. Now, a couple things. This is a very important verse. And it's a hard one to understand. First of all, he talks about the depths of Satan. What in the world does he mean when he says, and those of you who have not followed this doctrine have not known the depths of Satan. Well, she claims to be a prophet. Old Testament says the prophets speak the deep things of God, the hidden things of God. That's what she's claiming to do. She's claiming to give God's mind, His hidden will to these people. It's okay for you to do these things. God says that's okay. But in reality, she's not speaking the deep things of God. She's speaking the deep things of Satan. Satan is luring them to do something wrong. What's he luring them to do? Something has to do with eating again. Eating wrongly. Is that what Satan did with Eve? Eat wrongly. Play me to speak the truth. See? So that's what those deeper things of Satan's are. Look what he says. I will not put on you, at the end of verse 24, I will put on you no other burden. What in the world does that mean? I won't put on you any other burden. Any other burden. Well, any other burden. What in the world is Jesus talking about? Well, let me show you. Why don't you go over to Acts chapter 15. No other burden. What in the world does that mean? Now, remember in Acts 15, we had a problem. This is called the Jerusalem Council in Acts 15. When you get there, I want you to think what in the world is this Jerusalem council, this uh, summit meeting, all about in Acts 15? Anybody remember what that was about? It all came about because Paul was in Antioch winning Gentiles. Peter comes from Jerusalem and starts eating meals at the church at Antioch.
1: And Antioch
0: is eating pork and bacon. And Peter's a Jew and he's kosher. He's not supposed to eat these things. But he's now saved. And so guess what he does? He eats them. He said, Boy, these ham hops are good. Boy, these pigs' feet are good. Boy, this catfish is good. He's not supposed to be eating any of those kinds. Under the law, but he's no longer under the law. He's been freed. And so he's experiencing freedom in Christ. And eating these things at the Lord's Supper with the church at Antioch, the Gentiles in Antioch. But then what happens? A group of Jews come from Jerusalem, and Peter sees them coming. He says, uh-oh! They see me eating this thing, I'm in trouble. So guess what he does? Stops eating. And this causes a big conflict. And there's an issue. What does God require of Gentiles when he gets saved? Does he require them to be circumcised? Does he require them to eat kosher food? And so they're making a decision. What what is required of Gentiles? And I want you to look at verse 28. I'm not going to read this whole thing. I'm just going to read you verse 28. And here's what it says. For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. This is James writing these things. The half-brother of Jesus. To lay upon you, look at this, no greater burden than these necessary things. Number one, that you abstain from things what? Offered to idols. Now, and don't eat strangle things, and don't be involved in sexual immorality. Keep your things yourself from these things, and you do where? Well. Goodbye. Farewell. Now, when you go back to Revelation, in chapter 2, in verse 24, Jesus says at the end of verse 24, I put on you no other, what? What did Acts 15 require of them? Don't eat meals offered to idols. Keep away from sexual immorality. And he says, that's what I want you to do. I'm not putting on any other burdens, but you do have to do that. And here's this woman coming along saying, Thus says the Lord. Oh, it's okay to get involved in these guild meals. It's okay to eat food offered to idols. And Jesus says, no it's not. I'm not putting a big legalistic list on you, but you do have to do these things. Does that make sense? Verse 25, but hold fast what you have till I come. In other words, don't give in to this witch, this Jezebel. Uh, stay right on the right track and do it until I come. Until uh, he comes when? Second coming? Might be. If he hadn't come yet, they'll have it. Uh, if it's in the context of the church, it, this church here in the first century might be, hold fast until I come and judge these people. That's what he says he's going to do, doesn't uh, Whether it's second coming or whether it's coming to judge that church, it really doesn't matter. The bottom line is, guess what you're to do? Hold fast. You're to persevere. You're to stay, right on, the, stay on the right track. And he who overcomes... He who doesn't give in, he who perseveres and keeps my work until the end, to him I will give power or authority over the nations. And then you have a quote from the Old Testament from Psalm 2 verses 8 and 9. He shall rule them with a rod of iron and they shall be dashed to pieces like the potter's vessel. As I also have received from my Father. Now, he says, if you're faithful to the end, that's what I'm going to do. At the end of verse 28, I'm going to give you power over the nation. If you're faithful to the end, I'm going to give you, <laughs> believers, power over the nation. And then he quotes Psalm 289, which is a psalm that talks about the Messiah having the power over the nation. Psalm 289 talks about the Messiah having the power over the nation. But he says, I'm going to give you the power over the nations. And so, the same power that Jesus has over the nations in the end, we're going to share that authority with him, and we are going to be rulers over the nations. Now, if that sounds anything, and then he says right at the end of verse 27, as I received from my Father. Uh, That's exactly the same thing that Jesus said at the Lord's Supper. To his disciples. He said, You've continued with me to the end. Sounds just like what he says right there. See, verse 26, until the end. I bestow upon you a kingdom, just as my Father bestowed a kingdom upon me. That sounds like the end of verse 27. That you may eat at my table in the kingdom. Look, that you may eat at my table in the kingdom and sit on thrones, rule the nations. Same thing he says at the Lord's Supper, he says to this church. It's in context with Eden. But that's not all he says. Look at verse 28. And I will give him... That's the overcomer. I will give him the what? Morning star. Now what in the world does that mean? I will give him the morning star. (coughs) Well, we know in Revelation 22 Jesus is called the bright morning star. Does he mean I'll give you Me? What in the world is morning star all about? Anybody know what what the morning star is? Venus. Venus is the morning star. Remember when you look up at the sky, what's the first star you see? What's the brightest star in the sky? That's Venus. Venus is the brightest thing in the evening sky other than the moon. So when you look up there and you see that real bright star, The one that attracts your eyes, that's Venus. And Venus is the last star you see as the sun goes up. It's the last one to disappear. And Venus was the star that ruled the nations. It was always up there ruling over the nations. The the Romans had a lot of uh, uh, interest in astrology and astronomy, and they believed that stars controlled the world. And They said those stars that controlled the nations in the night sky was Venus. And on every Roman soldier's breastplate was the symbol of Venus. Engraved on that breastplate, saying that Rome ruled the nations. And guess what Jesus said? There's gonna come a day well, I'm going to give you the morning star. <laughs> You'll be the ones that control the nations. And when he says, I'm the bright morning star, guess what he means? I control the nations. I'm going to control the nations, and guess what? You are going to control the nations. And so I'll give him the morning star. And uh, that's the promise that Jesus makes to those who overcome. Now, there are a lot of great qualities about this church because he lists a lot of great qualities uh, regarding this church, Thyatira, in verse 19. But there's one major grievance that Jesus has. They tolerate wrong eating when it comes to eating meals offered to idols. And you can't partake of the Lord's table and the table of demons. Because I'm so while he holds individuals responsible, listen. Every person who's individually doing this is going to be judged. He said, I'm going to kill them. I'm going to knock them off. They're going to be put to death for their sin. And he's going to hold Jezebel responsible. And yet, ultimately, he holds the church responsible because it's the church that's tolerating these things and is not enacting church discipline. So he says at the end of verse 29, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the first Baptist church. See that? Is that what it says? He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. It's not only a message for this age, it's a message for all ages. And we need to be careful. Every church need to be careful that it doesn't allow that woman, Jezebel, and her daughters to lead people astray. Next week, we'll look at the message to the church of Sardis and the church of Philadelphia. Father, we thank you for... (coughs) a message that hits so close to us because many of us rationalize the things that we do and say, well, I really don't believe it, I really don't follow that teaching, but I, or, or give my loyalty to a certain group or activity, or club, but my loyalty is to you. And yet, Lord, we see that that's, that cannot be tolerated. Many of us think, Lord, we have to do certain things on our jobs because we have to live, but who says we have to live? Oh, Lord, help us to take this message to heart. Realize that it's not a negative message. You don't put a great burden on us. It's such a minor burden. And you offer us such a great promise that those of us who overcome will rule with you in the kingdom forever. In Christ's name we pray.